I am both leading the liturgy and preaching today, which means I'll end up praying for myself and for us, hearing and then hearing the word read and then preached. Would you pray with me? God, we indeed ask that you give us ears to hear your word, minds to understand it, hearts to follow it. We long to be so gripped by who you are that it becomes easier and easier to follow you in our worship, in our friendships and relationships, with all of our stuff and words and deeds. Bless the reading and the preaching of your word that we might all come more and more alive to the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to read uh, some bracketing passages from Matthew chapter 5, and then um, when I finish reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and if this is indeed your profession of faith, you can respond by saying, praise be to Christ. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands, commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. What we're doing is spending some time looking at the Lord's Prayer and how the Lord's Prayer informs us of the rest of Matthew. It's the wrong sermon. There we go. <laughs> it was going to be really challenging to preach. I was like, none of those words for next week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In the Lord's Prayer... Jesus teaches us to say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And my hope is that when we pray that, when we use different words to pray it, because Jesus said, pray then like this, our imaginations and our minds are gripped because we know what Jesus said about himself. We've seen the miracles that he performed over disease and nature, and we're that much more gripped by his holiness and how it grows us up. Fantasy authors know the importance of name, and as is often the case in uh, literature, they're embedded truths. It is a profound gift to know the name and even the names of God and to reflect them back 
in prayer, knowing that his name is holy. One of the challenges for Christians, and certainly for those that are considering the faith or or trying to understand it, is that Jesus is gathering together belief, morals, the grand story of everything, joy, hope, and guidance, and offering it to us. And the offer is him. So in him are all of these things. So sometimes when people say it's not a religion, it's a relationship, that's a, a, a helpful phrase in one sense because the offer is Jesus, but it is large and encompassing. It is religious if we'll let religion be both a way and beliefs and interior motivations. It is something first received, then drunken in and followed. The first year that I was here, I was preaching and I I gave kind of a spectrum that we believe and then we begin to practice our religion and then we become followers. And a man told me after the service, I'm only comfortable with religion. I had a moment of clarity and kindness and I said, thank you. Instead of pressuring him or saying anything like that, he realized where he was on that spectrum. But what we long for and what the first passage was alluding to is to not just believe and not just practice, but to be so gripped by the holiness of God, hallowed be your name, that we receive because of the work of Christ that we're ever more enabled to worship him and to act as become, as becomes followers of Christ. Throughout the book of Matthew, we see many different kinds of followers. There are attentive listeners. There are inattentive antagonists. There are people that are not listening. There are those who follow. And we have the opportunity to be attentive listeners and then followers and to grow I assume many of you, if not most of you, have the Lord's Prayer memorized, and my hope is that in preaching on it and reflecting some of the other parts of, especially the Sermon on the Mount, but all of the book of Matthew, we're so encouraged and gripped by the gift of the name of God that's holy. Worship is corporate. That's what we're doing together. God reminding us to sing and to pray and to read and grow in what we believe together, but worship alone also. And in our worship alone, we pray to a God who is, whose name is hallowed. And that name is also the name of Jesus. This is a little more explicit in the book of John, but in the book of Matthew, chapter 11 is a key to understanding the rest of the book. That time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You, Father, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is Jesus claiming his rightful divinity in ways that the disciples would understand. We know his name, and we honor him. I use that word deliberately because this phrase in the Lord's Prayer reflects the third commandment. Commandment one, worship God and God alone. Commandment two, no idols. Commandment three, carry the name of the Lord with honor. And I'm saying it deliberately a little bit longer than the Hebrew because some of us were taught to say, if I don't say this word, then I've carried the name of the Lord with honor. And that's included 
but that is a very, very tiny and shallow part of this command, what we're reminding ourselves of when we say, hallowed be your name. The Hebrew is the word nasa, which became a mnemonic device for me, right? Nasa goes up, carry up, nasa. No, you guys don't like mnemonic devices? That's how I remembered it. Carrying his name with honor is something that Jesus is getting at over and over. You see, he didn't dislike the scribes. He had a problem with some specific scribes who knew what they believed but didn't act like what they believed. See, he didn't have a problem with Pharisees. He had a problem with some Pharisees who taught the word really well. One of the craziest things in Matthew is chapter 23. Before Jesus pronounces the woes over the Pharisees, he tells the disciples to listen to them. But notice that they don't live like how they believe. And what he's saying from the first text that I read to you is we are to become the new scribes who do and teach ourselves and others all of the commands of God. That's why I read from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And if that intimidates you, that's, that, that means you know your Bible, but it, it doesn't mean we have to know every sentence of Scripture. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It, becomes wherever, it, it means we are to become ever more integrated people who live and believe as become followers of Christ. I have read a couple of times, and it's not as peer-reviewed as I wish it was, some studies that say that Christians fared a little better in the pandemic with respect to mental health than non-Christians. I'm not confident of that statistically, but I have read it more than once. If it's true, it's because we continued to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and to cling to those things that were true regardless of what else was going on around the world. And reminding our heart, perhaps indirectly in our mind, that his name is holy and good, even when we were very disoriented and a forced collective grief was on us. The way that focuses our minds and hearts and centers us. I don't know how to end that sentence. It focuses our minds and hearts to remember where God is and who he is, hallowed and holy. In honoring him and his name, we are drawn into a deeper understanding of what he calls us from, lawlessness, what he calls us into, righteousness, and how, through trusting faith in him, that we reflect back with obedience, but also with prayer and corporate worship. All of the clauses of the Lord's Prayer and all of the commands of God are thick and rich pieces of guidance for us. One of the things that I'm very fond of with with, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith is it'll take four questions for every law of God because these are robust pieces of guidance for us in the with God life. And the same thing is true for every section of the Lord's Prayer. Every clause is full of promise, comfort, conviction, 
and hope. We know his name and honor him by praying. By being scribes who believe and ever more deeply follow. Shorter Catechism of Westminster says, what does the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? This is from last week, but I'm going to read it anyway because it's so encouraging. The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father which art in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a Father, able and ready to help us that we should pray with and for others. What do we pray in the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. We pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. Whether you realize it or not, you have asked that question. Why did Jesus say to pray this way? And the Westminster scholars take a lot of scriptures and pack them into excessively long run-on sentences that are full of promises and hope for us. The commands of God, rightly understood, provide us comfort and conviction. They integrate faith and hope. The sections of the Lord's Prayer, prayer, rightly understood, do the same thing. They comfort us. They convict us. They integrate grace in our life and hope. And they teach us to do what the world will not understand, which is to love our enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and hate your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not from the Bible, but people were saying it, so Jesus corrects them. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That last little phrase is one of the reasons I'm really excited to preach this series. I'm afraid you read that and you gloss over it because you're never going to get a hundred out of a hundred even in just a morning in terms of sin. That's not the word. It's complete mature. I was sitting with my wife a long time ago, and we were listening to a sermon, and the pastor was preaching out of James where it says a person who bridles their tongue is a perfect person, and they said, perfect means a good match, like you can be a perfect fit for your spouse. My wife started to write it down, and I said, don't write that down. It's not true. This is a very simple and important Greek word. It is the same word that Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished. Teleos. A mature person still sins and they know how to repent. A mature person has grown up in love and they make far less, especially intentional, mistakes in love. It doesn't mean they get 100 out of 100 in relationships. It means they know what to do when they mess up. It means they have accepted the Holy Spirit growing them up in love.
we know his name and honor him by praying and obeying him. It, do, it says loving our enemies that I expanded it a little bit yesterday. I didn't try and make the tech team mess with it because I already messed them up a lot this morning if you were here at the beginning of the service. It's really indirect pastoring because if you have to forgive your pastor every week, then you're practicing the ways of God. <laughs> Amen? scary thing is I'm actually getting a little better. Anyway. (laughs) We obey him. And one of the ways that we obey him is we pray for our enemies. And we've been talking about this a lot because especially Jesus' teaching on Matthew has a lot to do with how we treat those that are not for us. And I see someone that I know that's not for me in May and I'm supposed to be praying for them now. And it's difficult. I don't want to pray for them. I'd rather pray for the people that are for me or the people that I like that are not yet followers of Christ or you lovely people. He doesn't go to this church. Lives a long ways away. What is Jesus commanding me to do? To pray for him. And he's not saying be unwise in relationship. He's not saying when I see him, don't pretend like everything's okay. He's not saying pretend like, yeah, don't, yes, don't pretend but to pray for him. The first professor that I had for preaching at Covenant Seminary, some of you might like a word with him, anyway, he said his professor in preaching used to say, sitting in the back of the room with his arms folded, that was a fine sermon. So what? As in, what do I do? If all that's true and good and lovely, what do I do? Here's what we do this week, friends. We pray for those that are not for us. And in that way, we are different than the world. And it is challenging. This is why Jesus is going to come back to this and talk about not retaliating because it's linked to this. It's why Jesus is going to come back to forgiveness repeatedly because forgiveness is very, very, very challenging and essential to following Jesus. Prayer and our obedience are interconnected because what we're receiving when we pray is strength to hold and to live and to follow as Jesus described. Will we be holy in this life? No. Is God even now maturing us? Yes. I'm going to read one more thing from the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is chapter 13. And it's old language, and for some of you that'll really work well, and for others it's going to, well, not be as awesome. But listen to this, because there is so much encouragement here. This is what happens when you pray. They, who are once effectually called and regenerated, that's us, who profess faith in Jesus, having a new heart, and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. And the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. And they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. In prayer, we are participating with the Holy Spirit who is even now maturing us as a lover of God and neighbor, which is convicting and comforting and encouraging. We will not be holy in this life, but God calls us to maturity in love for him and neighbor. We receive that through prayer and obedience because God loves us so much that he does not leave us as we naturally would be. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today. And forgive us our sins and impositions on you as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad. Because you are the one in charge and you have all the power and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. Amen.